0: Of the turning ladies. ladies of the turning table. 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 Ladies of the turning tables. Welcome to the ladies of the turning tables, the podcast. Hi, I'm Super Gail, a passionate DJ and turntableist, creator of the Brussels Cut Scrut Jams, music lover, and a woman and non-binary empowerment guide. I want to showcase and bring to light the path of creative women in the music industry. What do we love? The struggle we face? In short, our life as creative and unapologetic beings. Me, did you kill a jewel? She started from scratching an underground hip-hop to thrive as a talented music producer for Montreal, Canada. Yes, we go overseas today. In this episode, we discuss how she made the shift from turntablism to producer and her latest work and adventures. A lot of inspiration today for you guys. Let's dive into it. So hello, Kila Joel. how are you?
1: Good, how are you? Thank you so much for having me.
0: Please. It was a a project of mine to to make an interview with you and... uh, to shine more light upon your career because I think you deserve it. So I'm really happy to have you, seriously.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. So So first question, can you present yourself a bit for the people who are listening and watching? Yeah,
1: sure. Um, So my name is DJ Killa I'm from Montreal in Canada. Um, I've been a DJ for the last 25 years. So I started DJing back in 1997. Um, I started out um, playing more like techno house, drum and bass, uh, that kind of style of music. Um, the first person who actually introduced me to DJing, um, his name is DJ Mana. And he and I are great friends until this day. So he was, he we were actually dating for like, three three years back in high school. And I thought, wow, like, DJing is the f- most cool thing I've ever seen. Um, I just needed a change in my life. You know, I was playing classical piano for 10 years. So so I do have a background in music, but I felt like at that time, um, you know, electronic music was something that really intrigued me. And I wanted to learn more about it. and. Um, find out, you know, how a turntable works and how a mixer works. And we really, like we were practicing like six hours a day, like nonstop crazy. Um, And I, you know, he, he basically taught me how to mix, how to train my ear um, to listen to one thing and another and to, to beat match. And we started jamming with a lot of like local DJs here in Montreal. Um, And I ended up like, falling in love with it even more, I I ended up buying my own gear, um, buying my first set of techniques, uh, 1200s, which I still have to this day. Nice. They're part of my, um, my current setup as well. I have a few other 1200s (laughs) as well since that I've collected. But, um, but yeah, they're still going strong. And, you know, we, we started actually, we were listening to a lot of trip hop, Um, and a lot of started to get into hip-hop and I feel like I got into underground hip-hop like a bit later than a lot of people so it was something that was introduced to me through uh, DJing but I'd never really listened to hip-hop before I started DJing Um, and through hip-hop music we got into scratching and turntablism and discovering amazing DJs such as Cubert and you know Invisible Scratch Pickles and Mixmaster Mike and A Track of course who's also from Montreal Exactly also, like, exactly all all of these like you know crazy inspirational super talented DJs became part of our like our world you know we were really sort of immersed in in turntablism and that scene very quickly And at the time we were still using vinyl. There was no such thing as like Serato or there was no such thing as like a digital interface. So I started learning on using real vinyl and when I would, you know, I started competing. So that was something that I did um, really back in the day when I was trying to improve my skills. And I felt like even though, you know, it would have been nice to win, I feel like competing was and entering battles were just a great way to improve my skill sets, you know, and it's a good way to like really work on something and have a goal to work towards something. And, you know, we were back in the day, like putting stickers on our records and those were our cue points, you know, there was no... Exactly, the
0: sticker cue points, them. we all know that.
1: Yeah, no <laughs> such thing as like a, a pad on a mixer, oh. there were No, you know, they were all analog mixers. So um, I really started out like in an old school kind of way. And then as the years went on, I you know, I started using more of the digital technology. I was on tour for about eight years with a theatrical production where, um, by this director called Robert Lepage, and he's a well-known director based here in Quebec, but he's done a lot of shows with like Cirque du Soleil, and um, with, with like Peter Gabriel, and like Being on tour and and starting to actually use my DJing in more of a public sort of space, I ended up sort of transitioning to the digital side of things. It was just a much easier way to work. I was kind of against it. Like I was always a bit of a purist when it came to vinyl and to music. And I was like, I'm never going to use a computer to like, you know, to play music from. But after like a really crazy trip to Singapore where I had... Like I brought three crates of records and one of the crates never showed up. And I took Air Canada to court. Like it was like the worst experience I've ever had. Like my records were stolen basically. Wow. And and after that point, I was like, you know what? It's not worth like losing some of my most like precious kind of possessions. Right. Cause like you know, as vinyl enthusiast, I would go digging in every city I was in and I would find these like amazing gems.
0: Exactly. And
1: I was like, it's not worth it, you know? So that's when I sort of made the transition into Serato and um, it's been a game changer. Like I'm, I'm happy I was open-minded about that. And then over the years, I really... Tell me if I'm like talking too much. No, (laughs)
0: please, please, please. I really love you. And and it's super inspiring to listen to you. So I'm I'm not interrupting at all. Okay, okay,
1: awesome. So like to me, music production, which is something entirely different from DJing and uh, from being a DJ, music production was always something that I saw myself getting into. And it was like a natural progression from being a DJ into a producer I went to school in communications at Concordia where I learned um, how to use pro tools and it gave me a good sort of backbone in terms of like how to start recording music and writing music and Mm -hmm. because I took classical piano for many years I did have like a good understanding of how to you know of melody and rhythm and and all of that so I ended up like many, many years ago, buying an MPC 2000, which was the first machine that I ever like made a beat on, like an actual beat. And I was sampling from records and and I was just going crazy, like digging for like drum breaks and stuff. And that was my world for a very long time. And the first record I ever put out, which wasn't, I never put it out legally because there were too many samples on it but you can still find it on my website. It's called Sodade. This record was created entirely on my MPC 2000. It's inspired by like all of the records and the sounds that I discovered and collected while I was on tour with this theater production. It really sort of describes that time in my life where I was on the road a lot and I was living out of hotels and like living you know, out of my suitcase and just feeling that sense of like total freedom but at the same time missing home so it's like two sort of things pulling at you you know two opposite things and all these emotions and all these feelings of just like being tired all the time because one day you're in Germany and the next day you're in Japan and like you know (laughs) it's I mean it was pretty cool like
0: it's it's a a big big life indeed it's a big life
1: It is, it is. And it was, because it was a long time ago. But And then I could say that more recently, during COVID, I managed to uh, land a record deal with Hydrophonic Records. Congrats! Thank you very much. Um, This was like such a big thing for me. Um, And I think it only happened because I, I told myself after I realized I couldn't put Sodade out into the world like on a proper you know with proper distribution um because it was it was too expensive to clear all of the samples that i had on there and it was too risky to put it out otherwise yeah. i said i'm going to produce a record that's entirely original um i'm gonna have some guest wrappers on it so that i can at least like you know show that i can work with other talent and it's like fun, you know, producing with other artists and and working with other artists. And I said, I'm going to put it out all by myself. I'm going to learn the ropes. I'm going to see how, what steps I need to take to put it out into the world. And I did that in June, 2020. And it just so happened, like it was the beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, I couldn't do everything I wanted to do. I couldn't go on tour if I wanted to, because everything was shut down. So I was like, oh, as an artist, you know, you can only do so much, but at least I can put my music out there for people to listen to. I was like, okay, I did this myself. I feel like this is a great point for me as an artist where I can now start shopping some new music to a label. I've sort of proven to myself and hopefully to others that I can, you know, I can see a project through and know what it takes to like be able to do that and this has always been a dream of mine to to produce and to to be an actual recording artist and lo and behold like you know i sent them my demo i sent a couple of labels my demo i heard back from one but it was a no-go and i never heard back from the others and then i'm like well why don't i try something local like why don't i why don't i just start here um, indeed And it was actually Indica Records was starting up their hip hop subsidiary, which is Hydrophonic. So it was really good timing because they were looking for artists to to put on their roster. Yeah, next thing I knew I was, um, I sent them the demo and they're like, let's put this out. And um, the record came out in October. So I'm currently working on some new stuff.
0: Ooh, exclusive revelations tonight. So that's my life in a nutshell. Wow! So <laughs> okay, twenty-five years. Wow! So many yeah. things to discuss, indeed. First of all, again, congratulations for your record deal and having put two things, one after each other, during pandemics and during this really hard time. Those two kind of dead years we just went through, because yeah. it was really hard for. Everybody in the industry and everybody else as well, of course. So, yeah, whew, great of uh, great strength and uh, courage to do that. And, uh, and you, you found the, the inspiration as well, because it's not easy sometimes, you know, to just create something when you're literally shut down. So,
1: congrats. Easy, but the same time, it was for me because I had all the time to, to put in the music. Dans la production, j'avais pas des gigs, j'avais pas des shows, des spectacles. Alors, je pouvais vraiment comme just focus, you know.
0: Voilà. Okay. So you were yeah, purely uh, on your flow of production without any uh, distraction around, basically. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, it's easier to, I mean, easier, of course. But um, we can discuss that turn together but it was better to focus on that without any further distraction around and uh, and shows and uh, and stuff so maybe let's start with the eight years on tour so what was your except for that horrible part that you lose your records because that's heartbreaking i don't i just to imagine it i'm already shaking wow. <laughs> so <laughs> but <laughs> except for that really big accident what what did you learn from that and what you can maybe say to someone that would love to live that life
1: well it was that was like a crazy part when I look back on my 20s I'm I'm currently 42 so when I look back on my 20s which is when I was on tour at that point I think about how lucky I am because I was really just doing my, my own thing and I was I was really out there just playing a lot of shows and um, and getting to know people and like socializing and, and just making a lot of connections in the scene. And um, at the time, Table Turns was, um, so DJP Love had started the Montreal version of Table Turns, which originated in New York, um, but I, you know, I think at one point I really had to like muster up the courage to start performing in front of people. And the only way to do that is to just do it. <laughs> like there's no other advice. You just sort of have to, you just have to, you know, get through your nerves and know you're going to be nervous. And to this day, I still get nervous. Like for my record launch, I was like, oh my God. This is crazy because now I'm scratching in front of people, which I can do with my eyes closed, but I'm also singing in the microphone. I'm like looping vocals. I'm looping piano. Like this is my live setup over here. So I, am okay. and I have, um, my, my push to, and my MPD. So these are all the things that I've incorporated into my live set. But back to your original question, I think it's important to put yourself out there. Because if you don't put yourself out there, and I mean, not only on social media, and social media, of course, is a big part of it these days. But even just like getting out there, you know, in front of people in front of an audience, um, I think opportunities will come to you. You know, the more you put out there, the more will come back at you. And at that time, I was, that's what I was doing. And then I got a a phone call from the musical director at Ex Machina which is Robert Lepage's company based in Quebec City and they're just like oh yeah we heard of you and we'd love to know if um, in two weeks you would want to come and try out for a part in one of our productions and I, I had never heard of them before like I didn't know who he was because I'm an English Montrealer and it's funny, like, even though Quebec is the province of Quebec is an entirely French province, but exactly um, Montreal is a very bilingual city. It's funny how, like, I don't watch any of the French television stations. I only watch, like, the Canadian or US or, or BBC. <laughs> um, so it's like, I don't know what's going on.
0: <laughs> I just, admit, just next door, but you don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know. So it's funny, culturally, it's a very um, interesting place uh, to live. So I had never heard of Robert before. And I started looking him up. I'm like, wow, like he's a pretty talented, very well respected uh, individual, an artist an actor, director. And so long story short, I end up getting time off of school because I was in, I was still studying at the time. And I went into, I went to Quebec City. I walk into this like huge sort of warehouse uh, rehearsal space and I see my turntable set up right there. And I was just in my headphones scratching and like practicing, you know, waiting for stuff to start. And I didn't realize but the sound guy had turned my volume up in the whole room. And I was just like going full out, like on the turntables, I was jamming and I look up and everyone's standing there and they're all like, applause. <laughs> so that was kind of, that was my initiation into the company. And it was just, it was, it was a really like awesome moment just because it was so unexpected and, um, and I felt like I sort of, I fit in. You know right away everybody was super nice and the first show we were supposed to tour with was called Zulu time and we were supposed to present um, just off Broadway in in New York City. Um, Wow. And I was packing to go to New York because the you know we were about to play like a full month there and I turn on the TV and the twin towers were falling down. So.
0: Okay. <laughs> so now you have to rethink your plans, I suppose. I
1: rethink the plans. So I was literally supposed to get on a plane to go to New York that day. And so long story short, we performed the show in Montreal and um and then I believe it stopped touring at that point because I guess they lost so much money like in, in the actual production of of setting it up and not being able to to do it right. So both. So, a few months later, I end up getting a call from Robert and asking if I could, if I know how to sing. And I'm like, well, I can sing, but I'm not like a professionally trained vocalist. And he's like, because I think you'd be great in this opera that I'm producing.
0: (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Amazing proposal after the
1: tables. Can you sing in an opera? Okay. I can pretend to be an opera singer and then see if I can pull it off. Exactly. Um, and it turned out to be, that turned out to be the show I ended up touring with for the next few years. Wow. And that was called the Buskers Opera. It was a, a modern take off of John Gay or Kurt Lyle's, uh The Beggar's Opera. So it's a classical opera. Okay. And we adapted all the songs into more modern music. So my turntable setup was literally inside the body of a grand piano. So when you open the top, my turntables were there. Wow! And he put the piano on the stage sur une like table tournante. So
0: oh, on, on something that rotates basically. Something oh,
1: something nice so i was scratching and my records were going around and there was a camera with like a bird's eye view of the setup for the audience so they could see my hands as i was scratching and i was singing at the same time and wow it was like as um as an artist like as as any artist but you know as as somebody who's creative and kind of doesn't mind experimenting or doing something outside of the box i think that experience for me like totally changed my life in terms of what
0: yeah I understand of course wow
1: what was asked of me as an as a performer but also like I'm a DJ and here I am like singing and acting and dancing and and playing piano and like you know on tour with an amazing group of people so that's kind of how that whole thing materialized
0: amazing wow and um what was the most difficult part in the the touring life let's say for you?
1: Um I think the hardest part was it was probably the missing home. As much as I love to travel, it was it was hard because my boyfriend at the time was based in Montreal so it was hard to like not see him as much and I think the time like all the back and forth with the jet lag that was difficult as well because we would typically spend like maybe a week uh, to 10 days in one city and then fly to another and then go home for a week and then go back to Europe or go back to the U.S. or to Asia and then so you can never really get used to like one time zone almost um so physically it was very demanding but it it was still some of the best experiences of my life because you're literally getting paid to travel and to discover new cities and new places and to you know and I would like make a point of finding a record store in every city that I went to and that was like my thing I love it I love it <laughs> and piles and piles of records and uh and Yeah, just um, meeting meeting people on the road that you never would have met otherwise. So they were good, and it was more good than bad for sure. I would do it again.
0: Nice, I love it. I love it indeed. When you can be paid to to do what you love, to push a bit yourself as well further than you what you can think, what you think you can do. Basically, getting out of your own comfort zone and and box, and then. Getting to see other cities, cultures, and uh, food as well, and I don't know, people and stuff. Oh, yeah. Amazing, For sure.
1: Like yeah, like immersing yourself in in every culture that you that you come into, and um, and everybody in the arts is typically very inviting and very warm, and everyone just wants to share their art, and I think that's like the best sort of energy to be around at the end of the day is people
0: who are so open and friendly, you know. Yeah. That that sounds amazing actually. What why other people are not like that at all? I Just, why? I don't know. <laughs> uh, so basically you made the perfect transition for the next question. What about digging? <laughs> you know, records <laughs> because you know, it's something I yeah. really like too. And uh, I'm always really curious about uh, your current studies of uh, digging or previous or past, whatever. Mm-hmm. Tell us more.
1: So um, I used to dig a lot back in the day. I haven't been to a record store in a really long time, um, partially because of COVID and partially because when I started producing like my own original material, um, yeah. I went the I went the purely digital route so I taught myself how to use Ableton and I stopped sampling like I just I just stopped sampling because I knew I I couldn't anymore if I wanted to to put out music yeah Um, in, in a serious way you know hmm. so that kind of to me is is a bit of a sad. <laughs> that that's kind of a sad sort of transition that happened in that I stopped um, looking for records, um, even though you know it was so much part of my past and and me becoming a DJ and and learning how to DJ and learning about the culture was so much about getting my hands dirty, and like finding those dollar bins. Um, the last time I I went digging I was in Japan and that was like right before the pandemic hit um, I managed to get out to Japan and that was a great experience and of course like you're in Japan so
0: yeah Japan is amazing come on let's say Japan is amazing per se and then you have the digging part which is also amazing too so
1: that's it so that was the last real sort of Um, sort of, you know, outing, (laughs) digging outing, I went on. Um, but, but yeah, as I said, like, it's still, it's still part of who I am. And, um, I suppose like once, you know, once things start to open up again, I don't know what it's like where you are, but like, we're pretty slow. We're just starting to open back up. Like restaurants just started to open again. So we're still in like
0: lockdown mode. <laughs> yeah, here we had uh, several waves, as they call it. So it's yeah. really nice. So we had uh, a first few months where everybody was like, okay, it's over, yeah. And after, no, it's back again, yeah. So everybody's closing down and then it's opening up again, but with a loss of rules and stuff crazy stuff to follow and to to install and to do. And so most of people can't follow that. So some of them prefer to shut down or even go on bankruptcy. So it's really sad. And um, so we still have a lot of stuff open, but not as we used to as for concerts. It's always like, yes, no, yes, no, maybe, no, yes. So it's really complicated, but record store, pretty much closed for, let's say, in total one year, but uh, in several parts. And now they are open now and interrupted since, uh, I think, a year now, uh, around a year. So it's better. It's getting better here. But, uh, I mean, we still don't have many concerts, no venues, no... They always say, like, you you know, Belgium is famous for festivals and... uh, they all say this summer. I mean, in a few months now, they will be taking place. I'm not so sure about that.
1: Yeah, we're not sure. We're not sure either. I mean,
0: we so yeah,
1: we're moving forward, sort of, with optimism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like a cautious optimism. You know? Exactly. So not to get too excited. <laughs> about
0: yeah, because we we already went to the this roller coaster of emotions. So now we want just to be like okay, maybe it's not happening, but if it happens, it's super nice, but maybe not. So, okay.
1: Exactly. So when, in terms of digging, I mean, it's it's really like back to the original question. Um, I just feel like it's more, it's become more part of my past now. And okay. my my present is really focused on creating sound through synth. Synths and synthesizers and effects processors. Like I've become a huge nerd when it comes to digital production, like and and using um, basically creating my own
0: sounds. You know, yeah, like you know all the VSTs around.
1: Well, I don't know all of them. Like there's so <laughs> many. Yeah, exactly. I
0: mean, so I'm
1: constantly learning, and I'm constantly like, oh, what's what's that person using and you know, how did you make that sound? And I'm always Googling and I'm always like watching instructional videos on YouTube and like, I'm always learning, like I'm a total sponge and I, I will never know everything there is to know, but this is what keeps me going is the fact that like, there's an endless amount of knowledge when it comes to creating and producing music. Like there's so many different directions and so many things to learn and you really learn through doing it. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm working on um, a dance track now. Like my, my music has suddenly become very sort of dance sounding. And I think that's because I'm using a digital interface mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to um,
0: Probably, yes. like
1: an MPC, for example. And I'm still incorporating my scratching as a part of it um, just to bring it back to like, you know, who, who I am as an artist, which is like a turntablist. And most people know me as like an underground, old school hip hop DJ. But the music I'm producing now is like, totally, it's like, who is this? It's, it's not, it's not hip hop in the traditional sense at all. It's more like electronic dance music. So it's pretty fun, in a sense that you know, one day I, I feel like, um, you know, I, I get inspired by, uh, I don't know, a, a Diplo or an Inman track. And I'm just like, you know what, I feel like creating like a, a dance track today. So, you know, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not limiting myself in terms of, you know, what kind of music I produce right now. It's more if I like it. I
0: like it <laughs> and if i I'm think not
1: that's really a good like, idea <laughs> so yeah it's, it's so much fun it's
0: so much fun sounds like it when you talk about it i see sparkle in your eyes i'm like oh she really likes what she's doing now so it's really nice i, I mean it's it. it's really cool to see someone that really loves what she's doing and uh thank you for sharing that by the way because uh it's really nice thank you um nice. so I understood that you kind of left out all the samples and the digging around it, of course, because it's kind of more a hip hop based um production of uh, way of production mm-hmm. but um so w- was the transition like okay for you or are you still kind of regretting some part of it sometimes, even though you're um, not making hip hop per se
1: yeah i I do miss greatly. Um I do miss listening to a break record and finding a break and being like, "Oh my god, I I want to loop this," you know? Like like picking up a dusty and and hearing a melody or a drum break and being like I totally want to go home right now and sample this record and, you know, make a loop out of it and um I miss doing that and I think I've you know when I started working with a digital interface, I really tried to almost recreate the sound and like I would I would find drums that I was allowed to use and then I would you know sh- experiment by putting like um, vinyl pops and clicks on top of it so it sounded like I sampled from a record um, and I don't I don't really do that anymore or I haven't created a beat like that in a while, but I really tried to do my best to emulate the sound quality of what what it would sound like if I was sampling from a record directly. And it's such a different, um, it's a different way to produce um, because on the one hand, there, there are so many options when it comes to producing in a doc that the MPC for me really limited, you know, my ability to, to do certain things creatively that now you can do pretty much anything you want. So you could look at it in a positive or negative light. Like if you prefer working with restrictions and that's like how, you know, how, you know, but I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. I just think that it's a different feeling and it's a different, um, it's like a different process of creating Mm. music. Of course. And and you can still recreate the same process in Ableton, but it still doesn't sound the same. You know, it's like listening to an MP3 versus like listening to something off of a vinyl. There's a warmth that I find you, you almost can't recreate um, that I agree. You know, sample from vinyl. So that's why I feel like my, my style of music production has changed so much because I've really gone into an electrical, like digital sounding kind of style, whereas before it was very analog sounding. Mm-hmm. So I miss that. But at the same time, I'm having so much fun doing this that, you know, I'm I'm very happy.
0: <laughs> and that's what matters actually. <laughs> that's better for you actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: I know it's so nice that you talk about that because yeah, still still um I always have the question about the the, the samples because Um, it seems really a big problems because at the beginning people were using samples and it was like, woohoo, kind of the wild west and everybody was okay or not knowing. So, but now it seems like it's really, really locked down and you cannot use as many sounds as you wish. And my next question would be like, was it uh, more easy for you to find a record deal with uh, original music? or maybe with a belt of samples or something a bit different?
1: So in my case, um, the demo that I created, which turned out to be my last release, which is Sagittarius. So Sagittarius is my most recent EP on Hydrophonic. And um, that was all original with some samples, but samples I was allowed to use. Like it was stuff I found on Splice. Or there are a lot more options now as opposed to when I started producing in terms of, um, uh, what's it called? uh, Mm -hmm. Copyright-free, licensable,
0: what's
1: it called? (laughs) License-free. Anyway, there's there's a lot more. Creative
0: commons and stuff like that as well. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So um, there's a lot more at your disposal now because everybody's, producing so everybody's looking for and needing um material right to, to start exactly. with True. so what I do typically is and even when I was sampling from vinyl I would find a loop like as inspiration and then I would compose original material around it and sometimes I would keep the original loop in in the production or I would take it out and like I would only have used it just as inspiration. So what I typically do, and for this last demo that I sent to Hydrophonic is, there were a couple of samples there, um, but a lot of original creation around that as well. And the beauty of original creation is that from a sound producer, and like from a sound production point of view, You have a lot more um, flexibility in terms of what you can do with the sound, you know, when you're creating it yourself, as opposed to when you take a sound from a sample bank or from a sample library, that sound has already been compressed. It's already been mastered. Like you can't take any of the effects off of it, you know, but when you, when you're creating from scratch, you can add effects and you can shape the sound better than when you take a sound that's already been created so I kind of like to use both and see what ends up sort of daying in the production and I'm also trying to sing more now too and use my own voice so so that's also an instrument I've sort of been exactly well you know and scratching of course like scratching is like the cherry on top so once i create the music and i feel like for me the music has to stand on its own without the scratching so the music to me has to be good enough to be like if there wasn't any scratching on it i still want the listener to feel like it's interesting and developing and this and when i put the scratching on top it just makes it that much better
0: i agree Right? I'm not objective at all, but no, no. <laughs> I would say that, in my part and my opinion, scratching is always kind of a binding element for music. So, voila. <laughs> so, so, you're still a, an active member of uh, Sunday Scratch Session as well?
1: Well, I have to say that since the pandemic, it's been not really, <laughs> unfortunately, um, I just haven't. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff has gone online.
0: And yeah, true. it's
1: really hard for me to commit to being in front of my computer more than I have to. I agree. In a sense that like every single meeting that I've had and every single interaction has been on a screen, which is great in a sense that we get to speak. And it's-
0: For example, awesome. when you're living abroad, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's easy, but- It's okay. very
1: necessary. But, you know, when it comes to- like Sunday Scratch sessions, I loved the fact that I was able to get out of my house, go somewhere, you know, scratch amongst my peers and be with my crew of people. And we haven't really been able to do that. And Manzo, DJ Manzo, has really been holding it down. So I haven't really been involved in it in a while in that sense. Um, I've also been super busy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, (laughs) you you had to make choice as well.
1: So, um,
0: For sure. But all
1: those guys, like the the local Montreal crew here, we're not a big group of people, but it's like, it's still a family and I still love those guys. And they're still awesome. And I'm hoping that um, I'll start attending more once, you know, things open back up again.
0: I really wish you did uh, too, because... I mean, uh, scratch gems are really important to you, share the skills and just socialize in real life, you know, like just like see someone else and just talk. And it's so different to you feel the energy in real life than behind the screen. Yeah, so. And that's where that's where we first met in person. Exactly. Exactly. In a hip hop festival. I remember it was a really hot, sunny day in Montreal. I really loved
1: it. It was so nice. It was so beautiful. Exactly. I remember meeting you and I'm like oh yeah I know who
0: you are like yeah. you because you know, we're I'm... so many
1: <laughs> yeah so it's it's really good to connect with you again that's for sure
0: yeah I really enjoyed it as well and I uh, always say like okay I have to go back they have to go back I have to go back yes. because uh I'm still talking to the guys too as well because yeah I really felt like welcome like as 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 I was part of the fam even though I was coming from another country so by the way to everybody who's listening if you're going to montreal please connect to the sunday's cross sessions because these guys are just amazing voila i just did a a promo minute
1: it's so it's so laid back we just we bring our our mixers our vinyl computers whatever and we just jam and sometimes we jam with actual musicians as well so we have one guy on the keys and the other guy on the drum and the other guy on a something or whatever we're all just like there to have a good time and, and it's really fun it's really nice so join our facebook group actually sunday scratch sessions
0: wow voilà, to everybody who's listening you you have to join the group if you're interested into scratching of course <laughs> <laughs> that would be a first start <laughs> <So. Sure. laughs> oh my god yeah so much stuff Why did you start scratching, or what did you find interesting into scratching back in the days? Scratching
1: um, was—I just—I just just thought it was really. I mean, for lack of like a better description, I thought it was freaking cool. Like to take a record and to uh, and have a sound, and then to get all these different sounds out of it by like moving the record a certain way and I love a good challenge and I like to learn right and I'm very meticulous when it comes to practicing and scratching to me was also a big part of like becoming part of a community of people and at the time when I started I was like I always considered myself a bit of an outcast and like somebody who wasn't that popular in school growing up. And um, when I started discovering scratching and turntablism, I felt like this was, and hip hop, like in general, um, I felt accepted. And I felt like I was, I was like welcomed warmly into a group of people who had, similar interests and similar levels of like nerdiness. <laughs> so True. I, yeah, so I feel like we have really just all related to each other in that way. And, um, and it really, I just love the feeling of learning something because it's not easy, right? It's almost like the same way I learned how to practice piano, which was you do the left hand first and then the right hand, and then you try to put the two hands together. And I learned how to scratch in that exact way. I was like, what does the crossfader do? And then what does my hand have to do? And then how do I do it all together? And it's like when I have students, I'm always like, if you can do this, you know, where you're tapping your head
0: (laughs) and rubbing your tummy,
1: (laughs) then you can learn how to scratch. And I always found that when, um, and I did have, I do have students on and off again, and I do actually have a whole curriculum based around scratching and I use turntable notation, nice, um, so that whole language. And I find that that people who have taken another instrument before they learn how to scratch, pick it up a lot faster. Um, but it doesn't mean to say that you have to have learned another instrument before it's just, it makes it a bit easier to understand, but um I just, I just love the challenge um, from, a, from a technical aspect. I love the challenge from um, like a community and a social aspect, not the challenge, but I just love that part about it. And it just felt like, you know, I was, I was pretty, I was kind of going through some hard times at the time when i was like in my late teens not kind of like i was really going through some hard times mm. and i felt like it was an outlet for me you know um like a lot of people you know turn to doing like really bad things and yeah i did some drugs but i was never like crazy no, you know regular experimental as a teen but um, as so everybody funny, did <laughs> as, ev- as everyone right so I feel like it was my way of just venting and putting my energies into something that, you know, made me better. You know what I mean? And it was
0: just and creative
1: and creative.
0: True. So. And um, another question would be, um, did you feel kind of uh, lost or a bit too remote being a girl or woman in that male dominated kind of industry or world
1: um i didn't i didn't feel lost i felt like i always felt like i was different but not because i was into scratching or turntablism or Mm -hmm. hip-hop that's actually where i felt like i fit in the most so okay. I felt like I was different from a lot of other girls in the sense that I wasn't, I was more passionate about hip hop and turntableism than I was about like shopping or, you know, what a typical, like, you know, what would be a typical interest of a girl at that age. I felt like was, I was a lot more of a nerd and that I related better to all these people who just happen to be guys. So that's why I, I think I felt different um, for a long time was just because I, I felt like my interest, and still to this day, like, you know, there are a lot more female producers and DJs now than there were when I started, but I still feel like you know as producers like we're few and far between like there are a lot fewer producers now that female producers now than maybe in the next 10 years so but I feel like it is a very small niche and there isn't a lot of representation exactly Um, but that's never changed like you know I may have started as a DJ and then sort of branched out into production but I've always kind of felt like, yeah, it's a bit of a a cool but different thing to go into. Like, I never wanted kids. Like, I never, I don't have kids. Like, music is my, music is my passion. And it's something that I want to leave as my legacy. You know what I mean?
0: So you were never threatened per se uh, by other males or you you never felt um, some kind of jealousy or something, even just, you just one girl in the big group of guys
1: funny enough i never felt threatened it was it almost felt the opposite i almost felt like because i was a girl i was getting more attention than another guy would be um and i always kind of felt i felt guilty and i felt bad for like the guys who i would always like in my crew, you know, who I was with because Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, the attention was always focused on me because I'm the only girl. So like, you know, people would wanna, you know have interviews with me more or they would want me to play the show more. Okay. you know. So in that sense, I would feel, I wouldn't feel that good about it which is why I've always made it a point of, of trying to be the best I can be as a DJ. from a technical perspective, from a musical perspective, just like I've always made it a point to put skills first and to make sure that that is number one. Um, because when I do get the gigs, I personally want to feel for myself that I'm getting them because people want me for my, my talent and my skill set and not just because I'm a girl. You know what I, agree. I mean? but yeah no it it always I always kind of I felt I, I did feel special it did make me feel special I guess that I was the only girl if I'm to put a positive spin on it um and it was really cool when I would meet other girls who did the same thing because it was like so few and far between that I'm like oh my god (laughs)
0: you know <laughs> no. it's true true exactly i felt the same always so i'm like yeah. oh
1: you too oh you do that too oh. yeah it's like what's your story like how did you, you so know? oh another unicorn
0: here oh, exactly <laughs> So <laughs> I agree but that's why I'm making this podcast actually it's to you know to broaden the audience and not between us to yeah. to 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 get to know I say yeah. the the ladies of the turning tables Voila, <laughs> the name of the and podcast I, and
1: I think it's really important to because you know I feel like society and you can chime in on this if you feel the same or different but um I feel like society always tries to pit you know girls against each other in the sense that like I've been in situations where I've you know had to battle another girl and it was more because you know I think everyone thought it would be cool to do that but it didn't feel good to me hmm. for some reason like it didn't feel good that they were pitting us against each other and like
0: so it was kinda, forced it was kind of forced it
1: felt it felt a little forced and you know, she was totally into it and I was like, okay, I guess I better, you know, pretend to be into this. But at the end of the day, I was just like, it didn't feel good to me. And I feel like what's more important is that showing the camaraderie that, um, you know, we can all have together because there's so many situations that feel like, well, only one girl is allowed in the group. You know what I mean? I've been part of different bands and different crews over the years where it's like, there's only one girl. And if you're not that girl, then you're not allowed in type thing, you know? So it's always kind of felt that way to me. And I just, um, you know, that's something I wish could change in a sense that I feel like we could all come together. I know this is kind of like, you know, cheesy or, you know, setting some like ideal, but I wish we could all sort of just, Feel like it's not a competition and um just to be more supportive of each other you know and you don't have to like
0: everybody you meet like no but know, there is space for to... everyone and i i mean i think that there is space for everyone especially uh ladies and between ladies because we are so few that if we don't support each other if even if we don't like everything but if we don't support the, the, the other sister or the, the other girl, how yeah. oh, do we progress and thrive altogether and get it. more representation, you know, and get more girls to get into the business, let's say.
1: Well, that's it. And it's, um, you know, I, sometimes I have an issue with, like, how female DJs are portrayed in media and how some female DJs kind of buy into the whole thing, like, you know, that you have to wear a bikini in in front of, (laughs) on the turntables. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, unless you're on the, unless maybe you're on the beach and it's 40 degrees out, maybe, okay.
1: Like, so part of me is like, I don't want to judge. I don't want to be that person who judges you for what you wear, because at the same time, I'm like, fuck it, you should be able to wear whatever you want. Exactly. But at the same time, it almost undermines what I've been trying to do my entire career, which is to build respect out of um, not, you know, not gaining followers because I post a million bikini pictures, which I've never posted one of, but um, gaining followers because people are actually following me for my talent and not, not my super sexy body. You know what I mean? So it's like on the one hand, I've that's sort of where I've stood on the matter. Um, so on the one hand, I want to be able to support all all female DJs, um, and I think we should be free to do and wear whatever we want. But I think that image also has to be supported by, um, you know, like actual talent and and hard work and uh respect
0: for the craft i agree and and do you think that maybe some of these uh ladies are exposing their bodies because of peer pressure for example managers or i don't know tour guide or i don't know
1: um i can i can't say for certain but i'm sure like i'm sure that's happened before and I had a student once a female student who she was totally like she was asking me really honestly she was really passionate about becoming a dj and she's like what am I supposed to wear she asked me this you know what should I wear and like do I wear like sexy revealing clothes and and it's, I realized it, you know, I might feel very confident in myself because I have all the, these years of experience behind me, but young girls are, are being sort of bombarded by all these images, whether it's on social media or in magazines or on television yeah, true. Um, of what they're supposed to look like or how they're supposed to behave and how sexy they're supposed to be. Um, and if and, you know, there I realized that these girls are, like, heavily pressured into looking and being a certain way. And, of course, my answer to her was the same, you know, as my answer to you, which is, you know, your skill set is the most important thing you have to think of. And when it comes to what, you know, you want to wear, it's whatever you're comfortable in. And really, that's what I that was my basic answer to her in a nutshell, was that like, number one, just focus on the music and focus on learning how to mix properly and um, focus on building your music libraries and just um, making yourself a better artist um, and worry less about like what you look like, you know. That's
0: what that's what's important to me, anyways. I, w- I, w- I would go for the same as well, but let's say that um, I suppose that all the social media and maybe males, but not all of them, but you know, most of people, who, um, I don't know, pulling the strings. Let's say uh, are pushing female to behave a certain way that looks like feminine enough or like an old cliche of the the woman actually because uh what i've seen recently is like really young djs female young djs they don't wear makeup at all they don't care they just come as they are they just put music and that's okay and in, in a sense, it's kind of daring, I would say, uh, even though it should be normal, but it's still not, so.
1: <laughs> yeah. Voilà. yeah. Yeah.
0: So what other advice would you give to uh, a young aspiring DJ?
1: Um, you know, I think my, my one big piece of advice would be to not be afraid to ask questions and not to be afraid to ask for help um, you know, to this day, I'm constantly asking questions and I'm constantly like, I, I don't feel bad, like, don't feel bad that you don't know everything because nobody knows everything. Um, and to, and, you know, to step out of your comfort zone in a sense that it's not easy for anybody to, you know, to, to start something new or to learn something new, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, and yeah, like that's, that's the number one, I think.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And um, something um, uh, a bit different, what were the last three songs you, have, you just felt in love, love with recently or even later on or?
1: Oh, wow. If
0: you have only three. <laughs> I know it's always a tough question, but, you know, we want a bit more of your um, music tastes and, uh, and I, feeling. You know, that's, that's
1: crazy because my, my taste is, like, so different from one day to the next. Um, I have been actually listening to quite a bit of i know this is gonna sound crazy but i've been listening to uh, a lot of dance music so that's cool I, i never really sat down before and um listened to like diplo's whole repertoire like i know a lot of his you know like you know hit songs but i never sat down and listened to like you know his albums like what has he actually put out what are all the songs that like you know they don't play on the radio all the time and what i discovered was that like i, mean, I don't know the name of the record offhand but he put out an entire record of just it was like almost like relaxing sort of like you know yeah. like chill out like something you would not expect from from him you know, from him, um, from a dance artist, and I would get you the name of the album, but I don't have yes, it, it is. In front of right now. Hmm? Yeah, it is, yes. <laughs> um, hold on, hold on.
0: <laughs> Having the computer around is always ending.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um. Uh, I think it was called. Oh, is it MMXX? That could be. It was released in 2020. Okay. And uh, ambient, yeah. It falls under the ambient category.
0: Okay. So I thought
1: that was pretty freaking cool um, because it really sort of made me discover Diplo as as an artist who, like as a real artist who can really like create any type of genre of music and not Mm. just what he's typically known for. Um, So I think that, That was a cool discovery of mine recently. Um, What else have I been listening to? Um, I mean, I listen to a lot of Radiohead. Like, I'll be honest, Radiohead has been, um, you know, just like my go-to, you know, when I'm in like a mood, when I'm in a very particular mood and I'm on their mailing list. So I always get like, um, kind of like, inside scoops on like their new sort of single release and,
0: and um, so you're like a fangirl of uh, radiohead then
1: i'm i'm a i'm a huge fangirl <laughs> so um i do listen to a lot of radiohead um, a lot of the old stuff too um but whenever something new comes out i'm like the first person to sort of you know
0: listen to it so did you had a crush recently on something you just went through and you're like oh my god I love that I don't know (laughs) or something um
1: um, let me think um I don't know if I've had like a super crazy reaction I I just I've been listening to a lot of electronic music and I discovered like and I, I know this might sound weird because I'm like a total, you know, most people know me as an underground hip hop DJ, but Iman Beck, like, who is this guy? And of course, like two of his hit songs have been on the radio for so long. And it's because I'm, I'm producing more dance music now that I'm listening to a lot more dance music references. So Makes sense. Um, for any anybody who's like learning or who wants to know more about how to produce music um I think a good a really good exercise would be to really start listening to the producers and the types of music that you like but not just listening like it's playing in the background really studying what the different elements in the music is doing so I would Typically, if I'm like working on drums specifically, how do I program these drums to sound the way I want them? I'm almost trying to imitate what other artists are doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like imitation, not only is it the best form of flattery, but I feel like (laughs) imitation is really the best way to learn how to do something. And I don't think you have to worry about um, sound ending up like sounding like that artist you're trying to imitate because I think your style will naturally just um sort of appear <laughs> as you keep working on the track.
0: Um, wrapping it around and make it, it personal. So, mm.
1: Exactly so if ever as a as a producer who's just starting out I think my first piece of advice would be just start with one element and then start and then go on to the next element and really study what each of those things are doing like when i'm studying drums not only do i study like the drum loop but i study what exactly the hi hat is doing in that in one bar and then i i study what the hi hat is doing in the next bar so i really break it down to like the most tiny elements and that's how i really learn how to how to produce um, music. That's my trick anyway. I mean, there are probably other tricks I don't know about.
0: But that's a good advice. And I'd say that learning by imitating, it's, it's the basics of humanity. And even though uh, big, um, big apes are doing the same as well. So, I mean, almost everyone is doing it in planet Earth. So why not doing it ourselves for music?
1: Exactly. And that's how we learned how to scratch, right? It was exactly through- imitation and like, how did, how did Kubert do, you know, the flirp and how did he do the, the tear? And um, it's really like breaking it down into smaller parts and starting off slow and then, you know, gradually getting faster and faster. And that has to do with scratching. But when it comes to music production and you're sort of doing the same thing, you're listening to what other people are doing and then you're trying to apply it yourself. Yeah.
0: Thank you. And uh, last question, what is your next steps for your music uh, creation uh, promotion? If you can tell us more, maybe, or just say a bit more about what is happening right now for you.
1: Yeah, um, so over the Christmas holidays, because everything was shut down and because, I was getting no emails coming in or anything and I didn't go anywhere on vacation. I decided to, um, work on my next release. So start writing some music for my next release on Hydrophonic, And, um, it was a great creative time. I was literally getting up every day, like 24 seven and just, and like recording and writing. And, um, so I'm working on, similar style tracks to Sagittarius and I'm also working on a couple of different house tracks as Mm -hmm. well because I feel like dance music really speaks to a wider audience as opposed to other styles of music I have on there so um so I'm trying to as I said you know get more a bit more into the dance scene as a producer but um but the other tracks are also very kind of moody and dark and i can't wait to like put this, the cuts on top of it because like <laughs> i think it's gonna be awesome oh and i just received um my test pressing of sagittarius so it's the first time i'm releasing an actual vinyl oh so um that will be coming very soon so sagittarius oh. ep on a 12 inch vinyl. And I think it's gonna be played, it's gonna be a 45 uh, RPM. Ooh. Um, because apparently the sound quality is better at 45 RPM than 33. So we went- Oh, able to okay.
0: Play. I didn't know that, but looking forward for the uh, physical the really- elements of your your music. That's so, yeah. nice. Very so nice. So nice.
1: Yeah. Speaking of vinyl.
0: Yeah, of course. Always. <laughs> 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 when people talk to me about vinyls I'm getting exciting always so kind of you know Uh, oh (laughs) so do do you have a plan maybe to maybe not to tour due to covid and you know stuff but to make a a few uh, concerts with your your music
1: I would love to um so I was lucky enough to actually have an actual album release um so I put together a whole show with visuals. I worked with a, a video, um, a VJ, well, more of a visual artist, I guess. Um, he created all the visuals like from scratch and we put together a really awesome show like Sunday Scratch Sessions was a part of it. Um, I that. <laughs> there were a couple of other cute uh, crews that were a part of it. So it was more like a hip hop show. And then I did my performance at the end and I would, love to take this show on tour um i'm waiting for a grant to come in so hopefully i will get that grant and um and once the world starts to open up again like this is my goal is to to be able to tour and to perform my own music live of course To show people what i can do so that's that's fingers crossed that the world will be in a better place soon
0: i really hope for you and for all the artists waiting to to show their music to the world because
1: that's it but in the meantime we'll keep putting out material so that people can still have new stuff to to add you know to their playlists so that's the goal
0: and one last question what is um, the gear you use for your your live show or what is the typical uh, elements you use I mean turntable mixer a uh, keyboard yeah do you so have-
1: basically this everything you see behind me is actually my live setup as it is right now so I have my turntable setup okay and then behind me I have I don't know if you could see it's kind of dark but um I have my Arturia Keylab 61 Key MK2 mm-hmm. so I really love Arturia products because um they just have a lot of what I need right now as a performing artist and it also comes with some amazing um sound uh libraries and and BSTs and stuff like that so um I love Arturia for that reason um I use uh Push 2 so I was using an APC40 um to like trigger my my clips mm-hmm. able to live but Um, I started using the Push 2 because I like the screen on it. And I like that, uh, like, it's more for producing. Like, if you're a producer, a lot of people use it to produce. But I use it mostly just for live shows, um, for in session mode. Um, But it's way more powerful than what I actually use it for. And then I have an MPD 218, um, which is just another sort of controller to, you know, I have, like, Hundred different MIDI mappings um, okay. in session in my live show session, so I use that to like turn things on and off and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And a microphone which uh, I sing and I loop into and oh, uh, and I've also been looping my scratching as well. So there's Ableton is a really powerful tool for uh, for live performance as well as production. So um, I definitely stand by this setup.
0: But it's called Live for a Reason, I think, huh?
1: Yeah. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Yeah. I'm very... Uh, I know Logic is starting to... They're coming out with like a similar sort of interface in terms oh. of a live setup. But I'm I'm an Ableton user. But for anybody in Logic, I think you'll be able to do that too.
0: Yeah. So if you're listening and you're a your, uh, Logic user, stay tuned. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Uh, this podcast is not sponsored by the way
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: so, so we yeah we don't li- we don't earn money by speaking about the the gear so but if you want to please do it will be a great help <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so yeah basically you, you said as well you had two dj and one big mixer in the middle because people yeah. are also listening to the podcast so yes Enough.
1: exactly so i have um, a pioneer dj ms9 um, I've been using that mixer for, for quite a long time. Um, I recently invested in the phase so I'm not using my needles anymore. And phase has been um, incredible for me because I've always been very heavy handed.
0: And okay. I like, yeah.
1: was like jumping around and stuff when I scratch, especially when I'm on stage and I'm like super like. You know, I'm I'm just like I'm knock shit out. Well, I don't knock shit over, but you know, I'm I'm not delicate with my turntable. So, um, phase has been great because it really adds like the stability I need to my scratching, and um, it's really precise. And I've had only great, uh, only a great experience with it. So, um, and yeah, and for my audio interface, I use I just invested in a Fireface UCX which is by RME. And it's a great, uh, it's, I mean, it's a very, it's a high-end um, uh, interface that's great for touring because it's really small and uh, and it's powerful.
0: So it gives you the, the color of so the sound you like and you want that's, to achieve. Yeah.
1: yeah, and it's great. As I said, it's, it's good for portability too.
0: Yeah because when you're touring with all that gear, it always adds a lot to weight and energy and That's cost good. as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you really want to try to keep it to a minimum um, in terms of like all the stuff you need to carry. But I feel like for my life performance it's and this is all enough for me to be busy constantly so I can put on a show and I'm not just, I'm not just pressing buttons, I'm actually scratching, I'm looping, and, um, there's a lot going on in the performance and you don't need very much to do that with. The technology has really become, um, it's really become a lot more affordable, I guess, for what people are doing these days. And mm-hmm. um, for anybody starting out, uh, there are a lot of different options and they're all pretty sure. good, so. Sure
0: maybe not in terms of uh, mixers and some tables because they are still kind of quite expensive but for the rest i agree yeah, i mean you can have a um let's say a, a controller for really low money you can have a i mean secondhand stuff as well as most of people start with so it's yeah, really
1: absolutely and um, and like like uh... Uh, CDJ, I mean, I don't use CDJs, but, um, you know, other smaller controllers do the exact same thing. I just prefer to use turntables because I like the feel of the turntable as opposed to a CDJ. Me too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I um, agree. But you can do the same thing with any of any of them, really. So it's really what, what your budget is. And you don't need to start with the most expensive piece of gear on the market, um, especially when you're starting out. So... That's the beauty of, you know, having all this technology at our disposal.
0: True. Because sometimes when you start out, you don't know where you want to continue. So if you already buy something that's super expensive, maybe you're stuck with it and you're like, what do I do with that? So even though the secondhand market is uh, blooming, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's true. That's true.
0: And it's always handy to, to get secondhand gear uh, for. A lower price but it's uh, still a good uh good state yeah. it's always a, a good deal the, uh, yeah <laughs> Do you have something maybe you want to say for your last words on this podcast
1: words of the podcast um i really just want to say thank you so much for having me and it's great speaking to you and seeing you again and I really hope that one day I could come to Belgium and um, participate in whatever scratch session you have going on over there.
0: Please, uh, it would be an honor to have you. Seriously, absolutely. I would love to see you perform live as well. Seriously, it would, be,
1: it would be amazing to to meet other DJs. It's something I haven't done in a while, and I'm kind of like aching to like just you know meet real people in real life. So. Um, but no, thank you. And to anybody listening, um, you could follow me on Instagram um, at DJ underscore Kilojewel. and Facebook, DJ Killa uh, Twitter, which I don't really tweet that much, but I'm still on there. DJ Killa <laughs> um, website, uh And yeah, thanks so much for listening.
0: And for having me. Yeah, we can find your music on all the platforms, huh? right? That's it,
1: yes, thank you. Of course, uh, you could find Sagittarius, which was my last EP, and the EP before that called Reckless, which I released um, independently, is also on iTunes, Spotify, and all of the uh, streaming platforms. And um, stay in touch and, and keep your eye out. There are a couple of remixes coming out within the next couple of months so
0: oh remix is nice yeah. oh
1: more stuff in the pipeline to look
0: that's great to. great to see so uh thank you very much and uh guys and girls uh thank you for listening and please do subscribe rate that podcast uh follow us on every single platform you can and it will be a great help and i hope you enjoyed it and thank you for being there and taking the time to, to do it with me thank you very much Kilojo. ladies of the turning table 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 ladies of the turning tables.